You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Two men were on a plane flying. One of them was a Christian and the other was not. And in the course of the journey, they struck up a conversation. And during the conversation, it comes up that the one man is a Christian. To which the other man responds, I I believe God is like Chicago. There are many different ways to get to him. You can go by plane. You can go by car, you can go by train, you can go by boat. It really doesn't make any difference how you get there as long as you get to Chicago. And I think in the same way, he continued, that religions are the same way. That it really doesn't make a difference what you believe or why you believe it because they all really take us to the same place. Have you heard that kind of response before? Have you responded to that kind of response before. That's not an unusual view, point of view in our culture. That it really doesn't make a difference what you believe. Let's just, we're all heading the same direction. Let's just get, get along. Diversity and openness and tolerance and coexistence are buzzwords in our culture, very influential concepts in our culture. In fact, we have bumper stickers like coexist. There you go. Have you seen this? Maybe it's on your car, okay? No, okay. Uh, and, 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 and so this, this is a very prominent concept in our culture. And people view this and think of it in different ways. One is that, that all these religious symbols, really, they're all the same thing. Can't we coexist? And some people view it slightly differently, is that they might not be the same thing, but they're all taking us to the same, same place, so why can't we just get along? Why can't we coexist? We, the, word, the, the word for this kind of culture is pluralism. Pluralism. There's many beliefs in the culture. And there are different kinds, just to start off, there are different kinds of pluralism. So we can't just lump them all together. There are different kinds of pluralism. For, and, and I named them loosely, and people call them different things. But the first one I call either social or political pluralism. And that is within societies countries particularly, there are many different religions that teach different things, and there should be tolerance among these differences. So it's a a social accommodation to the various religious beliefs. And America traditionally, uh, uh, traditionally has been that kind of pluralism. We, We don't have a state religion. It's not illegal to believe one thing or another. In fact, it's very American to believe whatever you want. Some other parts of the world, that's not the case. There is a state religion, or is we are all this, Muslim or whatever, and it's illegal to be, believe something else. So that, that's a good kind of pluralism. We would like to live in a culture like that. It gives us opportunity. But there's other kinds of pluralism. There's philosoph- what I call philosophical. These are for people who uh, just think sometimes way too much about things like this. And, and one of these views is that all different religions are basically one in the same and that they are all equally true and valid. That's one form of pluralism, that all religions are the same. They use different language, but they're really the same thing. 
But then there's another form of philosophical pluralism, which is just a little bit different. It's probably a bigger group of people, if you press people on what they believe. And that is that the outward forms of religions don't matter since the faiths share a common core and they all get us connected to God in their own way. In other words, it really doesn't make a difference what you believe because they all lead us to the same place, God. And that's a form of pluralism. There's another kind that I call metaphysical pluralism. That's more of a, hey, you know, there is a divine force out there and however you want to define it, and it's too big, it's too unknowable to be encompassed by any set of specific religious beliefs. So therefore, we can't know it, so therefore we can't say what's true and not true. And that's another form. And then there's a third form, and I, I don't have a, a title for this. I call it pacifist. Uh, I think I could come up with a better term, but pacifist pluralism. And what I mean by that, people just passively accept things. In other words, the, most of the differences of religions don't matter. Why can't we just get along? Why can't, we, we don't need to disagree. We don't need to have conflict. That's what religion does. It just has conflict. I just, I just want to avoid conflict. So why can't we just accept each other and get along? This pacifist one isn't so much a thoughtful, hey, I've thought through this. It's a, I just don't want to deal with the tension of religion. Those are, those are different kinds of pluralism, pluralism that we have in our culture. And many people find it very attractive. And I, and I think most of us understand why. Because it appears, and I'm going to emphasize, appears to be more humble and tolerant and considerate and loving than any specific religious belief is, whatever your religious belief is. And, and if everybody is equally right, or in some cases, equally wrong, then no one can claim religious superiority. And that's a good thing. That's what they would say. That's why it's appealing. Or if there's no one correct religion against all the other ones, then it levels the moral playing field. Then we all get to choose what's right in our own eyes. We all get to decide what we want to believe and what's right and wrong, and that's up to us, and nobody else can tell us what to believe. That's also very appealing. How does Christianity fare in this pluralistic culture? How do we interact as Christians in a culture of pluralism? Not just socially, hey, it's okay to disbelieve, but ones that run against us saying, you know what? There is, it doesn't make a difference what you believe. We're all, all heading the same direction, that kind of thing. Is Christianity, is it, does it fit into the coexist kind of way of thinking? I'm gonna, I'll read a brief summary. There's a lot of ways we could summarize Christianity. I'm going to read one summary of it. We could talk about uniquenesses of Christianity, a Trinitarian God, Jesus being fully God, fully man, heaven, hell. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. Uh, and, and they're important to talk about and distinguish between other religions. And we'll see that there, there are actually are contradictions between other religions. But that's not my emphasis today. My emphasis is saying more in the sense of the gospel. What are we saying about the gospel and how does that interact with the pluralism of our culture? So I have a definition that I have here. We're going to put it up here and I'm going to read it to you. This is sort of a brief summary. It's just a summary. It's not all inclusive, all things we need to know. And it's this. Scripture alone is the foundation for faith and practice. And it teaches that we are saved by grace alone, not by our own merit, through faith alone, not by our own effort, through the saving work of Jesus Christ alone, not by our own righteousness, all to the glory of God alone. That is a summary of Christianity that I'm putting forth and saying, hey, how does this interact with pluralism? 
We could take each of those and spend a lot of time on each one, and we have talked about all those things numerous times here at Red Sea. So how does this definition of Christianity line up with pluralism? Well, it it seems exclusive, doesn't it? it? And what I mean by that is people would say, yeah, that's exclusive. What it means is it excludes people who don't agree with that. If you don't agree that Jesus is the only way, you're excluded. To many people, that's a bad word, exclusive. It seems narrow. It seems closed-minded. It's not open to various views. To some people, it's downright arrogant. It's arrogant to say that this is the only truth about how to get right with God. How do we share the gospel message, this kind of message, how do we share that kind of message to our neighbors, our co-workers, the classmates, our family and friends who are steeped in a pluralistic culture? I'm going to build on what Josh went through last, last week in the sense of evangelism. We have our diagram up there, evangelism. Josh shared with you, what I think it's Tim Chester showed a diagram, that evangelism isn't simply just sharing the gospel, throwing out a track. It is building relationships, sharing the gospel, and introducing the people into community. Those things together. And there is a share the gospel. There is a open your mouth and talk part of evangelism. But it's also by building, building relationships and inviting people into community. This is a two-part sermon. Today I want to talk about how we share the gospel in this culture. Next week I'm going to deal with some more specifics of, of uh, pluralism, particularly tolerance. How do we deal with this whole tolerance? And I'll make the case that tolerance in our culture is really intolerant. So, but you can wait for that one. That's a little commercial. Um, so today, today I have three points. Today is, we're, how do we, this is my point. It's a point with th- three sub-points. We can, and four sub-sub-points, no, I'm just kidding. Um, today, we share the gospel, today, we're going to talk about, not today, but this morning we are going to look at how we can share the gospel with people by being conversational, not confrontational, being clear, not critical, and being courageous, not cowardly. Let's look at the first one. Let's actually look at the first text here in Matthew 16. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this text. I ask you to stand out of respect and honor of God's word. And this is a a word out of the Gospel of Matthew of an event that happened in Jesus' life with his disciples, but it is also God's word to us today. So will you follow along as I read Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you reveal to us who Christ is. We thank you, Lord, that you have made known to us through your word, through the scriptures, uh, truth that we can have confidence in, a gospel message that he, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray that even among all the other things we talk about today, that you would just impress in our minds and our hearts how awesome that is, 
And for those who know that, that they would rejoice in that, those who maybe that's new to and maybe a little confusing, that you would help make that clear to them what that means. We thank you and we give you the glory in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In verses 13 and 14, we see something. We see that we can share the gospel with people by being conversational, not confrontational. Conversational, not confrontational. What do I mean by that? Well, in verses 13, Jesus comes up there talking to his disciples says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's talking about himself. And, he, and, he, and they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and one, or one of the other prophets. When we, we talk about religion, specifically when we talk about Jesus, people have opinions, right? Most people have an opinion. They, they have varied answers. They have different reasons why we think you're John the Baptist or why you think you're Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And often they're religious reasons, right? They're, there's some kind of thought there. And, and some of them could even be plausible. It could even be plausible. And people have ideas, they have beliefs, they have perceptions about God in general and Jesus specifically and their religion, their beliefs, their life, life after death, all those questions. People have various perceptions, and they get them from different places. They get them from different places. Many people, for many people, it's based on the traditions they were raised in. If you're raised in a, tradition, a Christian home, you tend to think more like a Christian. A Hindu home, a Hindu. A Buddhist, a Buddhist. Makes sense. Atheist, atheist. We tend to take on the traditions we were raised in. That's, the way we're, that's what we were told, and not only this is what we believe, but that's them, and we're not like them. So often those are people's views. Some people have well-thought-out views. They've really given it careful consideration. They've done the research. They've searched things out. And they've come to some conclusions. Uh, Many people talk like this. Very few actually have done this. Um, There's other people who have their views because they reflect uh, public opinion. They tend to go with the flow of what's around them and the crowds they're in. So they tend to just gravitate to be accepted, to not buck the system. They tend to reflect whatever is the society or their friends or family is around them. And there are some who simply have wishes. Uh, They hope something's true. I I hope there's a heaven because I'd rather go there than be here. But there's no ground really for their belief. They just wish it was true. How, how did the disciples know what people thought of Jesus? That's just, how did they know? It's not complicated. Do you know how they knew? They talked to him. They talked to him. They, they heard what people were saying. How, well, who, Jesus, what are all those people saying? Well, we know Jesus because we've been talking to him. We're part of them. And he's been saying it. And, and we learn that's just a simple thing of being conversational. And we see that, that we can share the gospel with people by being conversational in two ways. First of all, when we're conversational, it means that we're listening as much, or if not more, than we're speaking. To be conversational with somebody means you listen more, as much, if not more, than you actually speak. The old maxim, we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak, might be corny, but it's a great rule of thumb. It's a great rule of thumb. We should listen twice as much as we speak, even in gospel conversations. We should be listening. Why? Why is it so important in a conversation to listen? Two reasons. One is it builds trust. It builds their trust in us, right? If, if I'm listening to somebody share their views, whether I agree with them or not, they're, they're learning to grow and trusting in what I'm saying. I am showing them respect. I am showing them consideration. And, and they, we might not agree, but at least they've been heard. And that gives me a platform in which to speak into their life usually. The second reason is it builds our understanding of them. When we listen, we hear. When we're quick to speak, 
We miss the boat sometimes. We're answering questions they're not asking. We're dealing with issues that they don't care about, and we totally miss the mark. But if we listen, we gain that understanding. We learn about what they're thinking and why. Why are they thinking that way? Why do they believe that way? And the reality is, and I think most of us would agree, that many people's trouble is with Christians, not with Christ. It's with Christians. It's the people who call themselves Christians, flaunt their Christianity, and then basically are, are jerks who, who, uh, who do things that they say there's wrong to do. Have, have you ever met somebody? I've met a lot of people, especially in the, when I was in the business world. People, oh, they have a distaste for Christians, not Christ, not Christianity. It's because they had an experience with either a group of people or particularly an individual, and they said, I, I, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. So we don't know that if somebody if we don't listen to people and hear, him, hear them say that. Many people really don't know what they think they know. They really don't. They, 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 they have views as a result of either uh, what they've heard from others, the public opinion or stereotypes. They've never really researched and thought through or read for themselves things that give them informed them. I was talking to a guy, it's been quite a while ago, but he was a guy who was not interested in Christianity because it was so negative. I'm like, well, why is it negative? And, and he says, oh, because those Ten Commandments, all that do not do this and do not do that, I, I don't want all those don'ts. There's too many don'ts. And his perception of Christianity was the Ten Commandments and don't do this and don't do that. You know what? If that was, this, if that was my perception, I wouldn't want it either, right? Would you? No. But he doesn't know what he thinks he knows. We wouldn't know that if we don't listen to him. Being convers- Second thing is being conversational means getting personal. Some point we got to stop talking about things generically and get personal with somebody with a conversation. Jesus did that, and he said, "What do people think say that I am?" And then he t- they answer, and then he says, he says to them, verse fifteen, and verse fifteen, he says, "But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am?" That's that's personal now. Jesus doesn't want to hear about everybody else. He wants to hear about you. You tell me. And Peter, we're recorded. They all might have spoke up, but Peter's the one who we have recorded who spoke up. Peter answers. And, and it's one thing to talk and, and to people and about what is true for everyone. It's another thing to get down to being very personal about their beliefs, their questions, their hurts, their fears, and have that conversation with them. And we do this simply. The easiest way to do this is to get personal with people is ask them questions. Just ask them questions. For example... What do you personally think or believe about whatever the topic of conversation is? It could be a religious thing, heaven, hell, Jesus, uh, world religions, just fill in the blank. What do you think about that? And then listen, and then do a follow-up question. Always, always, always do a follow-up question. Why? Why do you believe that? Why do you think that? Just because they state something, okay, I got it. But what, what's more important is not what they believe, it's the reason that's behind it. Because I've been told that, because I was raised that way, because I talked to somebody one time, because I just think it'd be a great thing to do. Whatever the reason is, that's what we want to address when sharing the gospel is the why, not just the stated fact. You can ask a question like, uh, how did you come to that way of thinking, similar to the why? Or what is something that bothers you or you would like to know more about in respect to this thing, Christianity? 
or religion or whatever. You can keep it. What, however, in the context of your conversation, whatever you're talking about, ask them questions. How do you think this way? What would you like to know more about? Give them the opportunity to share, and then obviously listen. It gets personal that way, and generally non-threatening to them if you're sincerely listening to them before you talk. And how we talk with people about the gospel is important. How we have those conversations is really important. Okay, For example, in 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 25, Paul says this. He's encouraging Timothy in these words, and thus us. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. A lot of our conversations in this day and age breeds quarrels because it's just foolish controversy. Then he goes on in verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, even the people that don't agree with him. Able to teach. We must have something to say to people. Patiently enduring evil. Sometimes people will not like us. Often people will not like us. We know when we share the gospel, over and over again, the scripture says, people are not going to like that. Jesus said, if they rejected me when I brought that, they think they're not going to reject you. How do we respond? Patiently enduring their objections. In fact, he goes on and says, 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Yeah, you know what? It's not okay that you view Christianity that way, but let me tell you the way it really is, but we do it with gentleness. Not wimpiness, not weakness, but with gentleness. So how we have these conversations is important. Easier said than done. A number of years ago, there was a book that came out uh, that was very, very extremely popular, a huge bestseller. It was a New Age book uh, written in Christianese about a woman who had visions of Jesus. She was in her kitchen. Life wasn't going well. She was in her kitchen. And Jesus came to her in her kitchen a number of times and, and gave her visions and talked to her, had conversations with her. So she wrote these visions down, put them in a book. Huge seller. Basically, New Age stuff, New Age belief, but with Jesus telling her this stuff. And it became huge, so much so that I, I did read the book and I did uh, teach on it because I think the topics that it addressed, we needed to address within the church because there's a lot of confusion because of books like this. Well, one time I was, I, I saw a woman, I was in a public place, I saw a woman, and she was reading this book. This is after I had read and taught on it. And so uh, as I walked by, I stopped and engaged her in conversation. And I said, uh, I see you're reading so-and-so's book. She goes, oh, yes, I, I really like it. Have you read it? And I said, oh, yes, and I think it's a bunch of crap. (laughs) And let me tell you why. And I went on to pontificate two or three reasons why that book and that woman is a tool of the devil and 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 that does not align with the Bible. And let me tell you this, and let me tell you that, and let me tell you this. I was clear. I was right, by the way. Her response, when I got done, she said, oh, Looked back at the book and continued reading. No conversation. And, and she probably not only was like, I'm done with this guy, but hey, that guy's a jerk. And, and if he's a Bible-believing Christian, Christians are jerks. Right? Now, much to my shame, that is a real conversation, well, a real incident. <laughs> there was no conversation. I hope today I would have a different conversation. I read a book, 
I see somebody reading it. I approach them. I say, maybe this is a hypothetical situation. I say, hey, hey, I see you're reading so-and-so's book. And she replies, yes, I really like it. Have you read it? And my reply today would be, oh, yes. Why do you like it? And she maybe would come up with something like, oh, um, I like how her conversations with Jesus were so warm and loving. And, and I would then reply something like, hey, I can see that in the book too. She really makes that clear. Um, by the way, uh, why, what about this? Why, why does that stand out? What about Jesus being warm and loving? Why does that stand out to you? Of all the things she talks about, why that thing? And maybe she says something like, well, it really impressed me that Jesus accepts us even when we're messed up and hurting. And then I would say something like, you know what? I agree with that. That's huge. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about him having conversations with people who are messed up and hurting and rejected by people. And then maybe the conversation can continue. You see the difference? The difference is, I listen, I agreed with her on those things. But I eventually will get to, by the way, I think this is truth. What happens? First of all, I learn her touch points that I can speak the gospel to. Not just me being right or wrong. But her, she obviously has an issue about feeling messed up and hurting. I can speak the gospel to that. Also, the collateral impact is I don't alienate her. Whether we have a long conversation or not is incidental, almost. But I have not alienated her to me. I have hopefully not alienated her to Christians. because Somebody else might have the follow-up conversation that brings her to Christ. And hopefully I haven't alienated her from the gospel. I listened, asked her questions, got personal, and brought in the gospel when I can. That's how today I would have that conversation. We can share the gospel with people by being conversational, not confrontational. But we also need to do something else. We need to be clear, not critical. We need to be clear about the gospel, not critical about everything else. Where do we see that? We see that in verses 15 and 16. He says, Jesus says, he said to him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This sentence is jam-packed with theology. We don't have time to unpack it here. What he's saying here isn't just a flippant answer. It's a very deep, thoughtful, theological, scripturally-based answer. You, Jesus, you, and you only, are the Christ. The Christ. Not a Christ. Not a Messiah. Not a Savior. You are the way to God, not a way of God. You are the son of the living God. You're not just a philosophical teacher. You're not just a philosophical idea. You are God's answer to our problem. All that is jam-packed in Peter's answer to them. Is, Is Christianity really that exclusive? Is Christianity really that specific that Jesus is the only way? Is it, is it that narrow? Well, let's hear what people say in the Bible. For example, let's go to Jesus. What does Jesus say in that respect? He says in John 3.36, John 3.36, 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We could spend a whole time, a lot of time, unpacking each of these. But notice, whoever believes, and then whoever does not. There is, there is a right way and a wrong way, according to Jesus. 
Jesus said to him in, in John 14, 46, Jesus said it then. He said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty exclusive. Pretty clear. No one gets to God the Father without believing in me. How about, how about is it, okay, that's what Jesus thought, but did other New Testament writers record a similar kind of idea? How about Peter? Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Notice again the very tight language. No one else, no other name. How about Paul? How about Paul? Does he think the same way? Um, Paul says, uh, 1 Timothy 2.5, he says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Man and God are at odds. They need to be reconciled. There's only one person who can mediate, remove that barrier and bring them together, and that's Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. How about John? How about the Apostle John in 1 John 5? And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The claims over and over again in Scripture is Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is no other. That's a big part of what the world, a pluralistic culture, finds offensive about the gospel. But we, we need to be clear with two things when we get here about, when we talk about sharing the gospel, being clear, there's two ways we need to be clear. First of all, we need to be clear for ourselves. I don't want to move too much into the evangelism, sharing the gospel without stopping of ourselves. We need to know the gospel. We need to respond the gospel personally for ourselves. Are you sure for you that Jesus is the only way to God? Have you wrestled with that issue, that question, that act of faith, and said, yes, I believe he is the only way for me to get right with God? I'm not saying, do you, have you thought about it? Are you, are you consider it maybe it's true, or as a Christian, that's what we're supposed to believe. I'm talking about you personally. Have you actually wrestled with and responded to that message that Christ died for your sins in repentance and faith? Have you respied? Believing that something is true is mental assent. That is not faith. Just believing that something's true is not the same as faith. Faith is a confident trust that it's true for me and applies to me. Do you have that faith in the gospel? Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul said, if we confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is the heart that one believes and is justified and it is the mouth that one confesses and saved. Have you believed with your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth? It is hard for us to bear witness of the truth of the gospel for others if we do not hold to the truth of the gospel for ourselves. We need to be crystal clear and have responded crystal clear. And I invite you to respond in repentance and faith. If you haven't, or you're not sure, I'm not quite sure what he's getting at, talk to me. Talk to Josh. And the gospel is not just some past event that gets us into heaven and, you know, we get our ticket stamped, going to heaven, whoo, I believe the gospel, now I'm heading out. 
No, the gospel is the way we as Christians are to live now. Can you say, like Paul says in Galatians 2, uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that a, a present dominant reality of your life now? As a Christian, if it's not, then it's going to be hard for you to withstand the conversations that Jesus is the only way in a pluralistic society if you have not bought that as a present reality in our lives. The second thing we need to be clear on with the gospel is that we need to be clear in our message. What do we talk about with people? It's so easy to get sidetracked with peripheral issues and debates. What about this? What about that? I heard this. How about that? And it's okay to talk about those things. In fact, it might be a way to listen and dialogue a little bit. But at some point, we need to bring it back to the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. We need to be clear with our message. We need to be about that all the time. Our intention in community and building relationships and sharing the gospel and inviting people to community is to communicate the message, the good news of the gospel. Paul said in the beginning of the Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians, he said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony about God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his primary thing he wanted to get across. Now, did he talk about other things with them? Yep. He talked about money. He talked about sex. He talked about relationships. He talked about division. He talked about ministry. He talked about everything. But he always brought it back to the cross and the gospel. He could talk about almost anything. He could talk about anything and bring it back to the gospel. We have to be that familiar with the gospel. At the end of that same letter, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance. It's kind of redundant if it's important. It's first importance. What I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he's buried, then he was raised again in accordance with the scripture. That's what Paul was very clear with his message. Remember the two guys in the plane flying to Chicago? That was a real conversation. It wasn't my conversation, but somebody I knew. That was a real conversation. So the, one, the non-Christian says, oh, yeah, I think God's like Chicago. It doesn't make a difference how you get there, boat, train, car, whatever. As long as you get there, it all is in the same place. Something like that. The person, the Christian that I was talking to, replied right away. Now, what would you say? Here's a little piece of advice. People use analogies all the time, and they always use analogies to make their point, Right? Otherwise, they wouldn't use them. But that doesn't mean it's true. Just because you use an analogy, all the time in conversations and writing, people use an analogy. It helps us explain things. We use analogies. But in and of itself, because the analogy works, doesn't mean it's true. Well, this guy, the Christian on the plane, decided to turn the guy's analogy on its head. And, he, and this is how he responded. He says, the Christian said to the guy after he said that, he says, well, I'm glad the pilot flying this plane doesn't believe the way you believe. In which the non-Christian said, what do you mean? And the Christian says, the pilot flying this plane is not saying to himself, oh, I'm glad there are a lot of ways into Chicago. I can come in from the north. I can come in from the south. I can come in high and come in low. I can land this plane on a road, a train track. It does not matter as long as I get to Chicago. No. The pilot is saying, his pilot is given exact instructions from the tower. He must take a specific course, a specific trajectory to a particular runway if he's going to land that plane safe. How about that discussion? And that's the discussion they had. It, he was specific. 
You don't have to yield to the analogies. You don't have to yield to that. Let's bring it back to there might be a specific way. There might be. We can share the gospel with people by being conversational, being clear, and lastly, being courageous, not cowardly. Where do I get this? Verse 17. Verse 17. Um, Jesus, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, the, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Hey, g- good answer, Peter, but you get no brownie points for coming up with it. Because the Father in heaven is the one who revealed that. You wouldn't know it if the Father hadn't let you have that insight. It's not by human arguments, not by human persuasion, Peter. It's because God showed you that in his heart, in your heart. But through the working of God, he gives us insight. And we can share the gospel with courage and courageously because we are ultimately trust that the responses people have do not depend on us, that it depends on God, specifically the Holy Spirit, working in and through people's hearts, Right? We, we, we know this, but do we really trust this? Are we confident in that? In that, in that text in 2 Timothy 2, he says, uh, G, Paul, said, Paul said, have nothing to do with foolish myths, ignorant controversies. They, they breed quarrels. And uh, the Lord's servant must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently during evil, correcting his opponents and gentleness. So let's continue in verse 25. As we need to... You go to the end of it, there's another 25. Towards the end, I put in 2 Timothy 25 and 26. There we go. I, now we can finish the verse. Correcting, correcting um, his opponents with gentleness. He's continuing his train of thought. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do their will. What is he saying? He's saying, Timothy, us as a church, we have the conversations, but God does the persuasion. God is the one who persuades. It is, if somebody's going to repent and respond to the gospel, it's because God is bringing them to himself. Our confidence is that working in the Holy Spirit, not in and of our ability to say the right things. We see this in Acts 1, where Jesus said, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Part of the problem is we read verses like that, hey, that's great, and we're waiting to be backfilled with power, and then when we feel really, really confident and ready to rock and roll, then we'll open our mouths and be witnesses for Christ. But if you really understand, you will be my witnesses, and while you're witnessing, you will experience the power. We want to experience the power. The way we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in this Acts 1-8 verse is by opening our mouths and being witnesses. And that's when the Holy Spirit works in and through that, not the other way around. So we can have courage because we're confident that the Holy Spirit will work in and through us. But we hold back, don't we? We hold back because of fear. We hold, maybe I'm the only one here, but maybe we hold back because of fear. Uh, I, we fear things like saying things that's stupid. Anybody have that fear? Okay, I do. Here's a problem. Sometimes I say things that are stupid. God uses it anyways. I'd rather say something and it make, you know, you walk away in conversation, oh, why did I say that? I could have said this. 
Or maybe we fear not having anything to say at all. We just don't know what to say. You know what? Sometimes we won't. Or what happens if they ask us a question and we don't know the answer to it? Oh, man. You know what? It's going to happen. Here's a hint. Okay? What happens if somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to? What is your response? I don't know, but I'll find out. It's that simple. It's that real. Okay? You're not an encyclopedia. Okay? I, I don't know. That's a good point. Never thought of it. Let me get back to you. I'd rather get back to you with something of an accurate answer than to make something up on the fly. It's okay to say I don't know. We fear people thinking that we're some kind of intolerant religious wacko. And guess what? They will. It's okay. Our confidence is, if, if our confidence is with ourselves, we will likely hold back with fear. If our confidence is with God and the working of his Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds, then we'll, we will risk being bold. If our confidence is in God and the Holy Spirit, we will risk being bold. We will risk getting more personal with somebody. We will risk getting more specific about the gospel in our conversations with people because our confidence in, uh, that makes us courageous is in Christ and the, and the gospel and the Holy Spirit working through them. This is one reason why, by the way, building relationships and inviting people into community is so important in evangelism, right? This is why we can do this together. This is why home community or hanging out together with people and having these conversations helps us, right? Isn't our fear minimized when we're with other like-minded people? Uh, great question. Tag, you're it. Okay, you answer that. I don't know the answer to that. Or they have different perspectives or different understandings or whatever. We work on this together, thus the community. And we can support each other and with different experiences and perspectives, and we can find that helpful. So we can share the gospel with people by being conversational, not confrontational, clear, not critical, courageous, not cowardly. I want to give you one tool, one technique to do this, and then I'm going to wrap up. And so how do we do that? How can we practically engage in conversation, be clear, and at the same time be courageous, you know, risk a little bit in this? What is one way to do it? There's lots of ways in doing this. So what I want you to do is go door to door with a track. No, just kidding. Okay, here's it. So this is, this is the technique. And, and, and it, this technique is, and I like to call it directional. It's not intended to be manipulative. What I mean by that, I'm not trying to manipulate somebody to thinking something they don't. I'm trying to give direction to our conversations. So you do it this way. The technique is, what I call it is what if questions. Actually, it's a combination. It's what if, what would that mean to you? You simply ask people what if questions. I'll give you some examples in a second. They're directive. These what-if questions are, first of all, they're presented as hypothetical, so they're less intimidating. What if this is true? What would that mean to you? Okay? It's not intimidating. I'm just saying what if. It's hypothetical. Also, people may object. I don't believe that that's true, in which I can respond, I'm not saying you do. I'm not even saying you have to. I'm just saying what if, hypothetically, it was true? What would that mean to you? Okay? Takes down the resistance. It directs people also for the gospel categories. We ask them questions about gospel truth. So we're directing the conversations not to all the peripheral things 
about the force in the universe, we're talking about the gospel. And I'll give you examples. And also it gets personal. What does this mean for you? For example, here's, here's a list of some example questions. These are just examples. You, and obviously the, the, the questions need to be in context with what you're talking about and who you're talking. So this being as specific or as loose, or if you're, having, if you're talking specifically about a topic, tailor it to that. So, but here's some examples of the thinking that I'm thinking about, okay? For one, is you could say to somebody, what if there is such a thing as sin that separates us from a holy or perfect God? What if that's true? What would that mean to you? Well, I don't believe in sin. Okay, but what if it was true and there was a God and that separated? What would that mean? What, another question. What if there's, there is life after death and there are only two options, heaven and hell? What would that mean? I don't believe in heaven. Okay. But what if that was? Another question. What if God demonstrated his love for humanity? Now, this is a broad question, sort of like the out there kind of thing. What if God demonstrated his love for humanity by sending Jesus to be human and to die for sin? What would that mean to you? Or you can take the same kind of question and drill it down and be very, very personal with them. Same question. Just say you. For example, what if God demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus to die for your sins and open the way for you to get close to God? What would that mean for you? It's a very different question. Another question, what if Jesus really is the only way to get right with God? What would that mean to you? What if the gospel does provide a remedy for guilt and shame and bitterness or rejection? whatever the context of your conversation. What happens if the gospel really does provide a remedy for those things that you're struggling with? What would that mean to you? What if, in, that if through the gospel we can experience acceptance and security or significance? Those are touchstones in all people's lives. Acceptance, security, and significance. What if, based on your conversation, what if the gospel through Christ, really did provide that for you. What would that mean? Do you see how that simply directs the conversation, opens it up? You're conversational. You're being clear. You're talking about the gospel. And you're being courageous. You're willing to have the dialogue. It's as simple as that. In our pluralistic culture, many people object to Christianity because it appears exclusive. It's closed-minded. Here's the reality of the gospel. What people often overlook, and in fact, Christians often overlook, they, they yield to that. We're going to talk about tolerance and that kind of stuff next week, but we yield to that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Here's the reality. Here's another way of looking at it. Let me put it that way. The truth of the gospel is radically inclusive and open. The truth of the gospel is radically inclusive and open. What do I mean? The gospel confronts all people as sinners, offers forgiveness and eternal life to all those who turn from their sin to Christ. It doesn't matter how good or bad you've been. It does not matter where you're from or your religious background is. If you repent and respond in repentance and faith to the gospel, you will be saved. Not based on nationality, ethnic origin, your history, how bad you've ever been. That's pretty open-ended and inclusive. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice the world. For God so loved the world, pretty inclusive, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes will have eternal life. That is pretty open-ended and inclusive. That's what we share at the communion table. We share not just the specificness of the gospel, but its inclusiveness of the gospel. That God has accepted anybody who repents, anybody who has faith in Christ can celebrate on and on and on. And we do this every week to remind us of that generosity of the gospel. That we are included, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, but because it's provided for us in Christ. So I encourage you, if you are a believer and you have responded to the gospel of repentance and faith, as we go and continue singing, I want you to be invited to take communion. Right now I want to shift gears real quick and see if there are any comments, questions, or concerns about what we've talked about today. Right. So her question is, well, if I'm going to make based the gospel of Christianity on the Bible, which I have, my, my definition of summary included in the scripture, right? Um, gospel, the gospel, Paul's summary of the gospel, I, I told of you, I delivered over to you was the first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. How do we use scripture if they don't recognize it as, as authoritative? If it's right. It's, it's a bunch of other religious books. I would say two things. Two things in the way to do it. First of all, is ask what is their authority in life? What, what is it that they drive, whatever they believe, where do they get that information, but also authority? How do they know for sure, whatever their opinion is, how do they know for sure that's true? Somebody else told them, a book they read, the Koran, some other writings, somebody else's book, uh, their own feelings, Okay. Your point is, you have an authority in your life that helps you believe what you believe. What is that? Let's talk about that. So you begin with that commonality. Then you say, hey, me, I uh, agree that there's authority. I draw mine from Scripture. And, he, and I, would, I would go, and here's some reasons why. It's continuity. It's the way it speaks to us. It's alive, which might sound weird to people. Um, but I would then say to people, you know, you have an authority, I have mine, let's go head-to-head with those. I'll refer to Scripture, you refer to whatever you want, and we'll have that conversation. The second thing I would do is open my Bible or my phone, my iPad, whatever it is, and show them something, especially if we're having a relationship and we're having a conversation, say, what does this say? You don't have to believe it, you don't have to accept it as true, but what does it say? you at least have to respond to what it says. For example, if, this, if it's a basic gospel conversation with somebody, I, I, have, I do this frequently when I get to that point. I open my Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I open it up and say, let's just read these verses, and you tell me what it says. You don't have to believe it. You can argue with it. That's okay. But all I want them to do is react with what the text says, not Royce's opinion, not Royce's idea, But at least I'm saying, I got it here 
what does it say? Oh, I also believe, by the way, that the scripture is living. The Holy Spirit does use that to speak into their life. So both is, I'd say, okay, we can, we can have that conversation and be, I am going to point to scripture and as much as possible, let them interact with scripture. Is that helpful? Any other comments, questions, concerns? Okay. What do we do with that? Yeah, I mean, it's that book. I mean, they got saved from that style, but, you know, we're not do that. To start off the message saying, we believe being conversational can be clear and you know, being courageous. But I've seen a place for confrontational. Yeah. And I see Jesus at times being confrontational. You know what I mean? It's yep, yep. Okay, okay, so his question is, yeah, where is the point of being confrontational, whether you're literally a street preacher or you're in an opportunity to talk to somebody and you really need to get bold and confrontational with your belief. Is there a place for that? I always go with two answers. Okay, I was a consultant for many years in the business world. This is not my answer. This is the explanation. And you always give people two options when you're consulting, right? And they pick one, and that way if it doesn't work, it's not your fault because you had the other option too. So, okay. That's for free, by the way. That works too. That works too. You always give two options. Okay, that's not the reason why. Now I've forgotten my two options. (laughs) Confrontational. A, here's my first answer to that. I'm talking about us at Red Sea being in community, evangelizing, deploying the culture. We are not starting off with confrontational evangelism. We are not starting off with giving you guys all four spiritual law tracks. Here's how to go door to door, or here's how to beat somebody over the head with your Bible and say, you need to come to Jesus. Uh, there may be a place for that. You might have that conversation, as I've demonstrated I have had that conversation, to greater or less success. But that as a whole, we as a community are saying this, in light of our deploying the culture with hospitality and with service and evangelism, building relationships and inviting people in the community, sharing Jesus is conversational and it's not confrontational. It is clear and it is... What's the other one? Thank you. Courageous. I even forgot my own message. How's that? Um, that's my first answer. So that's what we're beginning with. Ne- next week, you, you know, the second part of the answer is, I think there are times, particularly if people are called to that kind of evangelism, and they are obviously gifted in that evangelism, and they're probably called evangelists, okay, who can be very confrontational and even caustic, and does anybody come to mind for you red, long-term Red Seers? Sean Garman. Sean Garman. That guy was, I think, gifted by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a skill that he developed, but gifted. He could show up a pub, he could chase hoodlums down Lombard, and share the gospel to them when they come to Christ. He is gifted in comfort, not only confrontational evangelism, but he is gifted to say, look people in the eye and say, you're full of beep, 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 and let me tell you about Jesus. And they listen, and they get saved. Okay, we're not having that class. Okay, we're not going to have that class. Uh, there are people, there, you're right, Jesus was confrontational. Paul, at times, was confrontational. 
Next week, we'll look at Paul being semi-confrontational. He was clear, but he was a little tactful with how he did it. So there is a place for that. I think that leans to gifting more than a call to a community to do a specific way. There are times when you just need to say to people, you're full of it, you're being arrogant, blah, blah, blah. This is the truth. Accept it or reject it. But it's not because you didn't hear it from me. We won't lead with that. I don't know if that's helpful. Any other comments, questions, concerns? Um, I got two options. Well, I got three. Actually, one, just dial Josh and hand the phone to Josh is one option, okay? Um, There are times, there are people, A, because they're passionate about it or they're angry or they're hurt or whatever reason they are extremely argumentative. It could be their personality. There's a lot of reasons for that. At at what point do you say um, uh, enough's enough, Okay. Two, two responses to that. One is that's why, uh, and I think there are times to say enough's enough. I, I, don't, I don't need to, we're not getting anywhere. This isn't a conversation anymore. I, you know, we're, we're done talking. Let's, let's talk about whatever, the Seahawks or something. Um, or hugging a tree or whatever it is they want to talk about. Um, I do think that the Second Timothy passage gives us wisdom in there because he says, he says in there that we must not be quarrelsome but kind, able to teach patiently enduring evil. So there are people who are going to be abusive and slamming us, in which case, but you are free at some point to say, yeah, I'm done with this conversation. My two points is, one is, uh, I'm assuming a certain degree of relationship, family, classmate, something that you will see them again, not just sitting on a plane. One is that that's why inviting them into community is so powerful. You have the safety of community, and if you're with other people in your home community or other friends hanging out at a pub, whatever, and they get that way, that's when I was joking, but not joking, tag, Bob, Mary, whatever, you're it. Come in here with me. Join me here. Uh, we as community can interact with that. Not just to join up to beat up on them, but to join up with perspective and answers that you might not think of. So think community. The second thing is what you also alluded to is say, at some point, this is getting heated. I'm really kind of done right now. I'm not sure where this is going. Let's talk about this later. Often, 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 when you have an initial conversation with somebody, whether it's sharing the gospel or confronting them on sin or working through forgiveness or whatever it might be, often the first conversation doesn't go well. They're caught off guard. They get heated. They get emotional in it. So the follow-up conversations is what tends to be very, very fruitful. Hey, let's get back. to let's, Let's do this again. You know, I need to calm down. Let's do this again some other time. I, I, and then here's the follow through and do it again. Don't blow them off, but have that conversation again. Regroup, get some advice, bring some other people in and have that conversation. Bring it up again. But it's okay at some point to say, you're being argumentative or you're talking about wacko stuff that really is not the issue. The issue is the gospel. If you don't want to talk about that, we're done.
It's okay to shut things down. Sure. And it's often helpful to diffuse that by saying, I see that you're getting really upset. There must be a story behind that. Um, I would be happy to listen to that. Do you want to share that with me? I, I yep. would like to hear that. If you don't, then, then, then we're not going to do something. Yeah. Great, great point. And that's where I said with the conversations, ask why. Well, I think that's... Okay, why do you think that? Well, because it's... Why? You can... Back to my consulting days. You guys are really getting your money's worth today, okay? <laughs> A c- consulting principle is ask why five times. If you're going to solve a problem, ask why five times. Why? 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 Oh, why? Now we're to the heart of the matter. Okay? When somebody has a story, if there's an animosity towards that God loves you and died for you, there's something behind that. So you're right, there's a story. Listen to that. Ask them questions. That was that personal part. And then ask them why you feel that way, why you feel that way. And there is a guilt, shame, story, something behind there. That's what the gospel dresses, not how many angels dance in the head of a pin or whatever. It is, it is. We're not going to broach that. Here's my response. How to have those conversations. And there's a couple options. Well, there's there's many options, but here's the thing I want to say. um, One, I don't believe science and true science and Christianity, the Bible, conflict. So to make up artificial conflicts is artificial. Um, And secondly, Anybody who says that whether they believe in evolution or they believe in creation, whether they believe in an old earth or they believe in a young earth, it's belief. It's an act of faith. And everybody uses that language. Nobody can prove 100% anyway, even through scientific data. It is belief. It's faith. My question to somebody like that, are you willing to bet your eternity on that faith? That's a long time. That's not three billion years. That's eternity. Are you willing to bet... And your act of faith, how do you know for sure that's correct? Because that's what you're doing. It's an act of faith. It is a whole huge series to deal with all those issues. But we don't have to be sucked into science is right, religion is wrong. Nonsense. Or science is, it has something over, over, over against religion. Nonsense. It's belief. It's faith. And therefore, I don't think they're at odds. We need to close. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that you laid before us. We thank you that we are, you have called us into this culture. You have given us as individuals, as families, as a church to be here in this time, in this place. We're not in another place, another country, in another century. We're here. And therefore, you have called us to be vocal for the gospel. Uh, and so we thank you for it. Lord, we lift up this time and then may we respond to all this in worship and in praise, and remembering how awesome you are and the gospel is. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.